Good morning. Merry Christmas. I know some of you feel like that video. It's just not everything's there, right? I get it. Uh, we're excited, though, to be at the tail end of our Advent series. We've been uh, walking through this series called The Gift as we've been looking at the wise men and we've been looking at the gifts that they brought and how their gifts pointed towards the gift, uh, the gift of a Savior come to rescue humanity. And in this study of Advent, what we're looking at is the arriving. The word Advent just means arriving or coming uh, on its way, showing up, the, the showing up of Jesus. And this story, the Christmas story, really starts way before the wise men. But it also starts way before Bethlehem. It starts before Christmas morning. It starts before the Gospels. It starts before the New Testament. The, the story of Christmas actually begins at the beginning. You go the whole way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we have the story being uh, painted for us of God creating the world. And by Genesis chapter 3, we have humankind's rejection of God. And therefore, there's this fall. But in that bad news, there's this instant whisper of good news that will advent. <laughs> because the, the curse is spoken over the tempter, over the serpent. That there's one coming, there's one who will advent who will crush your head, and in that crushing, his heel will be bruised. And, and that's the first whisper that help is on the way. Any Mrs. Doubtfire fans? Help is on the way. That's the first whisper that holy help is on the way. That's really where the Christmas story starts. That's where the advent begins is the whole way back in the garden before we are cast out. This whisper that that hope will come. And then that prophecy is is detailed and repeated over and over and over again by the prophets long before we ever get to Christmas morning. Last week we looked at the, the prophet Isaiah after we started out with our story here with the wise men as we we looked at the, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But there's another prophecy that Isaiah gave. As a matter of fact, um, at our Christmas Eve service, um, we had uh, Caitlin Ingram read this piece of this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. That's not how that works. And bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's just one prophecy that's fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And the amazing thing about that prophecy is that's around 700 years before Christmas morning. That's how not Christmas that the story starts. <laughs> That's how far before Christmas the story starts. 700 years before the birth of Christ, it's prophesied that a virgin would give birth to the coming Savior. So here's the deal. If this morning I were to tell you that I'm going to prophesy about who's going to be in the Super Bowl in a couple months. It's only a couple weeks left of the regular season. That's not that bold of a prediction. 
But let's just say I was going to go out there with this. I was going to say, hey, I have a prophetic word from the Lord. Right? Which if you ever hear me say that, please be scared if you aren't already. But for those of you who maybe watch a little too much TV preachers, let me just tell you, that's not... Anyways, um... Yeah, so if I were to tell you who I believe would be in the Super Bowl, and let's say I was right, that's kind of spectacular, but what if I told you I'm going to predict the exact score at the end of the game? What if I were to tell you I'm even going to tell you the pivotal play that's going to determine and secure the outcome of that final score? That'd be pretty impressive, right? Some of you at that, like, Closet DraftKings addiction. You'd be coming to me after church being like, hey, can we talk some more, right? That would be spectacular. But now, imagine that I were to say 700 years from now, there's still going to be American football. The game as it exists-ish today is around 150 years old. Uh, there was a version of it the whole way back in like the Greco-Roman Olympics, but Let's say it's still going to be around in 700 years. And let's say I'm going to tell you who is going to win the Super Bowl 700 years from now. And I will tell you the final score. And I will tell you the pivotal moment in the game that will secure that final score. That would be nothing short of miraculous, right? But here's the thing. There wasn't just one prophecy fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, scholars tell us that there are at least 108 prophecies fulfilled in the birth and life and death of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? So I'm going to speak with a lot of authority about what I say next, even though I have no clue what I'm talking about. You feel confident when you hear a preacher say that? I'm owning it. I'm about to talk about math. <laughs> so I'm just trusting the research that I've read with this because those of you who know me well know I can't speak with much confidence about math. But in eight, uh, 1958, a renowned mathematician and astronomy professor did some mathematics. Now his name doesn't exactly give us a whole lot of confidence about his genius. His name is Peter Stoner. There you go. It took a minute. <laughs> Dr. Peter Stoner did the mathematics of what are the mathematical probabilities that just eight of the 108 messianic prophecies would be fulfilled. And here is, you ready? The mathematical probability that just eight of the 108 Messianic prophecies would be fulfilled. One in 100, comma, zero, 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 comma, zero, 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 comma, zero, 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 comma, zero, 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 comma, zero, zero, zero. That's a big number. It's one in 100 quadrillion, which I thought was a made up number. I had to Google it. For only eight. Of the 108 messianic prophecies that have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus, to have been fulfilled is the probability of one in 100 quadrillion. And here's why we're starting there for our time together this morning. Because now what? It's the day after Christmas. So that's been fulfilled. What about today? 
here's what I believe. I believe that if God accomplished all of that and fulfilled all of that to get Jesus here, then that means I've got a 100 quadrillion reasons to trust that he's still on the throne today. That he's not done. Because there's a bunch of prophecies about Jesus that still haven't been fulfilled yet, namely his next advent. And so I'm walking into 2022 with a whole lot of unanswered questions, but a hundred quadrillion reasons to trust that God still rules and reigns and he does all things well. We can walk with confidence that God's still on the move, that he's still fulfilling his words. I believe this morning that we have 100 quadrillion reasons to have hope. Grab your Bible if you would. If you don't have one, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. And we'll invite you to hold your Bible up in the air. And if this is where you're at in your journey, then say our creed together. Uh, Before we jump into this book, let's declare it together this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Turn again to Matthew chapter 2. We will do a little bouncing around actually back to the prophet Isaiah again as you're turning to Isaiah. I mean, to Matthew chapter 2 rather. Um, just want to say again, uh, a thank you to all of our volunteers uh, who served at Christmas Eve. It was such a sweet service. Uh, last week was a big week for us. We started off the week uh, with our senior high students going to Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Uh, that's why you see a lot of people matching today. We did not turn into a cult while you were uh, gone for Christmas. Um, but we went to Broken Bow last week and then came back and had the Christmas Eve service. And so thank you so much uh, to all of you who sacrificed and served so well for all of that. Um, we intended to wear our sweatshirts together today before knowing that it was going to be 117 degrees today. <laughs> This, that was a little exaggeration. So 100 quadrillion is real, but 117 was exaggeration. Just got to differentiate. Um, this series, this Advent series called The Gift, we've looked at the gifts the wise men brought and how they reflect the gift. And we said that the first gift that they brought was actually their most important gift. They brought the gift of themselves. They followed the star. And what we read again and again in the life of Jesus is that phrase, follow me, is his summary of what the Christian life looks like. They followed the star. But their gift was following. The gift is that Jesus is our guide. He's always on the move, directing us towards himself. In their gift of gold, we see that the gift is that Jesus is our king. In their gift of frankincense, we see that the gift is that Jesus is our great high priest. In their gift of myrrh, we see that the gift is that Jesus is our Savior. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But they weren't done giving gifts and we're not done seeing the gift in the story. So we come back to the heart of our text, which has been verses 10 and 11. Um, we'll pick back up there this morning. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, when they saw the child 
with Mary's mother, they fell down and worshipped him. And really this verse could have ended there. Because everything that happened before this, during this moment, and after this is summarized in that. When we fall down and worship Jesus, we'll give him gifts, we'll follow after him, we'll do what he says, we'll go where he says to go. The heart of worship is the summary of all of this. But then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Skip down to verse number 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. Which again, we talked historically, was kind of his mood of most days. Furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Their first gift was they gave the gift of following the star. And the final gift in the story is they gave the gift of following the dream. It was a lot more subtle. It wasn't quite as bright in the night sky. But they continued to follow him. That heart of worship offered these gifts to Jesus. And here's the thing. The gifts that they gave were costly. Like they were all in, right? They were profoundly inconvenienced to travel this great distance. And it was costly in that the gifts they gave were actually expensive. It also cost them a little bit of their dignity. Because they fell on their face and worshipped a toddler. Right? These wealthy, educated, powerful men fell down and worshipped him. Humbled themselves and worshipped him. But really I think the last gift was their most expensive gift. Because it's difficult for us to really go back in time and understand the fear of Herod and the tension of that day. It's hard for us to understand what it cost them to defy the king in order to obey the direction of God. They risked their lives by going another way. We already talked a few weeks ago about how Herod's favorite thing to do was just like to kill everybody, right? They risked their lives. And at best, they risked their status. They would never be allowed to be welcome in the king's court ever again. But when we really see Jesus for who he is and we fall down and worship him, a sense of sacrifice all of a sudden becomes worth it. This is what happens when we see him. How could they risk all that to follow a dream? Here's why I believe they did it. They saw in the face of Jesus the light of hope. He's worth obeying. He's worth following. He's worth walking away from anything I need to walk away from in order to pursue him. They saw in the face of of Jesus, the light of hope, which points backwards 
700 years to the prophecy of Jesus. So flip back to Isaiah chapter 9 for me for a second. Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, we have one of the best known messianic prophecies. Usually we don't say this is a messianic prophecy. We just stick this on a Christmas card or something. One of the best known, and uh, we've actually talked about it during some of our Advent series in the past. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isn't that good news? And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's this child who's not just born, but who's born to us. Amen? But before this child is talked about, there's another Whisper of promise. Look back up or scroll back up a couple verses. Verse number two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt, who lived in, who had roots down in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown. That's the promise of the presence of Jesus is that darkness has been infiltrated by light. Light is such a a big part of the Christmas story, right? There are people who love going to the candlelight services and were disappointed that ours were battery powered. People were disappointed there was no open flame on Christmas Eve here. Supposedly, if you went to Grand Prairie to the Prairie Light Extravaganza, there were four million lights, they say. I don't know who the poor guy is who had to count all of those, but we need to send him a Christmas card. Four million lights. People sat in their cars for hours. Those of you who live near there and had to deal with traffic just to see these lights or maybe interlocking or maybe you put a whole bunch of lights on your house I don't know and those of us Monica and I were actually talking this morning about our pre-lit trees that like are guaranteed to last 700 years and they're LED and then in the middle of the holiday season like one little section of the tree goes out and you're like burn it all down I'm done bah humbug and, and the, the Ebenezer Scrooge in us is like, what's the big deal about little bulbs? But I think there's a thing in us that's drawn to the wonder of light because it represents something. And specifically, Christmas lights actually represent something really important for the day after Christmas. This comes from a tradition of the Yule Log. This whole idea of all of these lights started out with the simplicity of lighting the Yule Log. First discovered, or tradition began in Germany in 1184. A long time ago. 
This tradition started the combination of lighting the Yule log together as a family with an evergreen tree in the house. Because European winters at their darkest would only have like six hours of daylight. And that lighting of a fire in the house with an evergreen tree was meant to symbolize this reality. Morning will come. The sun will shine again. It's the thrill of hope. It's one of my favorite lyrics. You know the the Christmas song, Oh Holy Night, that everybody loves to show off the high note with? Right? People have, like there should be a vetting process for who's allowed to perform Oh Holy Night. But if we get past the showing off of the high note, there's such a powerful message there that I believe resonates with the day after Christmas. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. You ever stop and think about some of these Christmas lyrics? We're in sin and error. Let's wear a little hat. Until he appears and the soul felt its worth. <laughs> we found our value in the advent of the Holy One. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn the sun will rise again the light of hope in the face of Jesus is what fuels us to wait for the next advent between his first advent and his second advent we cling to the reality that Jesus is our hope. And we are now the light of hope to a weary world looking for something worth rejoicing in. Jesus is our hope. We close with, with a verse, well, two. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6 says, God, who said, let light shine out in the darkness. He said that in Genesis chapter 1. And he also said that on Christmas morning. Let light shine out in darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Light has shone not in the sky, but in our hearts. Because I told you, Advent starts way before Christmas morning, and it also lasts way longer than Christmas morning. Because that light is still shining. 
that star that brought the wise men to find the presence of Jesus eventually stopped shining. But this light of hope in our hearts can never be put out. I believe that a hundred quadrillion times over. In this same chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul then writes this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's the light of hope. And so we walk into 2022 without knowing what the situation will be, without knowing, is he going to fulfill his promise this year? We don't know. But we walk with the light of hope in the face of Jesus. And if we are not experiencing hope, maybe we're looking at the wrong lights. And maybe this day after Christmas, we need to not be so quick to look away from the manger. And we need to look again and go, if God would move heaven and earth a hundred quadrillion times over to fulfill this prophecy, he's going to fulfill the rest of them too. Every wrong will be made right. Every hurt will be healed. Every broken peace will be restored. There's hope in the face of Jesus. The reason that we walk into another year, and here's the thing. Maybe what you've asked him for hasn't been fulfilled yet either. Maybe you walk in this new year and you would say, the marriage hasn't been restored. The the child isn't walking with Jesus. The, The illness has not been healed. The bank account hasn't been healed. I haven't been delivered from that struggle. All I know to tell you is I believe with everything in me, there's hope in the face of Jesus. There's hope in the face of Jesus. Because he's the gift. If you don't know for sure that you have a personal relationship with him, we'd love on the last Sunday of this year to have that conversation. Before the calendar flips to another year, let's have a conversation about where you are in your relationship with him. In just a second, as we sing about that hope, there will be some men and women in the prayer room in the back, or you can text PrayFW to 94000. We'd love to have that conversation with you. And maybe you would say, I know I have a relationship with him. I've just not been looking to the source of hope. And maybe you just need a moment to pray, to reflect. Maybe you want somebody to pray over you. Maybe you want to come and kneel here as though this were an old-fashioned altar and just say, I need a fresh dose of hope. And so I'm looking to the face of Jesus this morning. God, would you give me hope to trust a hundred quadrillion times over that you're not done, that you're still over.